Let's turn now to the to the gospel. Um, we have been for the past a couple of months working our way through Matthew's gospel, and um, we have we have worked our way through a number of Jesus' important teachings and his parables. We have been reminded of some of his important interactions with his um, with his disciples, and now we reach one of those high marks. In the gospel, the one that you'll recognize, you've heard it many times before. Matthew chapter 16. Would you stand if you are able? From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it. God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said to him, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his followers, if anyone among you wants to become my follower, then let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When I was a, a student at Duke University long time ago, there was... An apocryphal story, I'm sure it was an apocryphal story, that circulated among the student body. And, and every time it was told, it got a little bigger. You know what stories are like. Well, this one went like this. One of the sports teams had had an away game. And as they were on their way back to the campus from wherever they had been, the bus they were riding on broke down. And they were out in the middle of nowhere in rural North Carolina. There, there are hardly any places in Pennsylvania that are as rural as they are in rural North Carolina. I mean, it's desolate in some parts of the state. The only thing they could see from where the bus broke down was a little white-framed church building off in the distance, sitting among the fields, a little white church. And they noticed, however, that they were fortunate because there were some cars parked around the church building. So someone, this was in the days before cell phones, remember. Someone was at the church. They were, in fact, having a prayer meeting in the church that evening. And so they could certainly go there and find some help for their broken down bus. Well, all of the team members were They were wiped out and tired from the game they had just played. Undoubtedly, they had won. 
they were, <laughs> they were wiped out. And so the student who was chosen to walk over to the church and see if he could find some help was the student who wore the uniform of the university mascot. Now, do you know what the Duke University mascot is? The Blue Devils. That's right. So now picture this. Small country church, prayer meeting, and in the door walks a Blue Devil. A kid wearing a Blue Devil suit. Well, immediately he set off a panic. People left the building through the doors and the windows. All except for one poor lady who's, as she was trying to get out of the pew, her dress got hung up on the hymnal rack and she couldn't get out. And the student, of course, was embarrassed at all the mayhem he was causing, so he rushed toward her to help her. And as she saw him advancing up the aisle, she raised her hands and she screamed at him, Stop, devil! Don't you come any further. I want you to know that I've been a member of this church for 35 years. But I've been on your side the whole time. (laughs) We have a... We have a picture in our minds of, of evil as, as red or blue <laughs> and burning and stark and painful. That's the kind of picture of evil that has been reinforced by, by movies with evil as their theme. You've seen some of those movies. The Exorcist. The Amityville Horror. Any of the Freddy Krueger movies or the modern zombie craze, no pun intended. Those those kinds of of films and the things that we see all around us portray portray evil as as frightening and and painful. And when we picture Satan or the devil, it's a horrific creature with a with a forked tail and a pitchfork, terrifying and threatening in every aspect of his appearance. And, and we are, we are encouraged to imagine that Satan rivals God in power and surpasses God in ferocity. But none of that is the way it really is. It really isn't. That's the movies. That's television. And you know, what you see on movies and television is mostly pretend. And that's not the way that the scripture, either Old or New Testament, portrays evil or the evil one. Satan is primarily a tempter. Notice notice what Jesus says to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Jesus didn't didn't claim that, that... Peter had frightened him or, or, or ruined him or threatened him or made him do something that he didn't want to do. You, you are a stumbling block to me. You, you are trying to trip me up. You're trying to, to cause me to stumble. We're rarely tempted 
to do a bad thing. Did you ever notice that? That even Satan at Satan's best does not tempt us to do bad things. Instead, we are more often tempted to be just a little bit less today than we were yesterday. And tomorrow, a little bit less than we were today. Until pretty soon, after not too much time, we lose all our dreams. We lose all our goodness. And we don't know quite how it happened. But that's when we give Satan a vacation. When we do his work for him. By allowing ourselves and those around us to be less than we can be. Every time we give up a dream or every time we abandon a promise. Every time we cause someone else to stumble in their goodness or in their commitments. Every time we choose fun over faithfulness. We give Satan a vacation. May not be such a big thing and it may not even seem important. Probably won't even be noticed. But every time we allow ourselves and those around us to be less than we can be, then we give Satan a vacation. Jesus and his disciples were at Caesarea Philippi. Their their ministry to that point had been a stunning success. Crowds pressed in on them from everywhere uh, and, and people eagerly reached out to touch this promising young teacher from Nazareth. The disciples themselves were, were caught up in, in all that was going on. And Jesus asked them, remember, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered enthusiastically, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It doesn't get any better than you. It doesn't get any bigger than you. One of the most dramatic moments in in the disciples' time with Jesus. But then Jesus immediately, Jesus changed the subject. He abruptly changed their direction. He began to tell them that the crowds would soon turn against them. And he would be crucified. And on the third day be raised. Well, the disciples were stunned. That, what, what a what a dramatic reversal in direction! What a uh, what an unexpected change in 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 what Jesus was saying and doing. They didn't know what to make of it, and so Peter took Jesus aside. Can you imagine? He took him aside and and he rebuked him. Never, Lord, never will anything like this happen to you. We won't let it happen to you. We won't permit it. Put that out of your mind. And then Jesus turns to Peter and insists. You remember what he said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in your mind the things of God, but the things of people. Jesus, Jesus might have said it to Peter the, the way I said it to you just a moment ago. You, you are encouraging me to give up my goals. You are encouraging me to abandon my calling. You are encouraging me to give up on my purpose. To abandon my dream. You are encouraging me Peter. You are encouraging me to be less than I can be. You are demanding that I satisfy myself with achieving less than I hope to achieve. You want me to diminish my dream and diminish my objectives. That's the hallmark of the evil one. Not tempting us to do something bad. Something thoroughly out of character, but taking us down almost imperceptibly one notch 
at a time. Day after day, year after year, until we hit the bottom and can't imagine how we got there. Then, then Jesus said something to his disciples that, that states his direction and his purpose quite starkly in the starkest, most distressing terms he could. If anyone would come after me, you've been having a great time in following me so far, but any of you want to follow me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow. In the great movie, uh, Schindler's List. There's a there's a very um, touching scene uh, near the end of the movie. You remember you remember the story. The Czech businessman Oscar Schindler um, built a factory in Poland using Jewish labor because in those days, during the occupation of Poland by Germany, in those tragic days, Jewish labor was cheap, and in fact, Jewish people were slaves. But as the war progressed, Oskar Schindler learned what was happening to the Jews under Hitler. And his, his motivations shifted from profit to sympathy. And, and so he used his factory as a refuge, a, a refuge for these Jewish people to protect them from the Nazis and protect them from death. And as a result of his efforts, you know the story, more than 1,100 were saved from death in the gas chambers. And you would think that, that Oscar Schindler would, would have felt pleased with himself and proud of what he had accomplished. But, but at, the end, at the end of the war, Schindler is portrayed as standing in the midst of some of the people whom he had saved. And, and, and he broke down in tears. He takes off a gold ring on his finger. And he says, my God, I could have bought back two more people with this ring. And with these shoes, one more person and my coat would have bought two more people. And these cufflinks, three more. There he stands. Not not gloating, but weeping with regret that he had not done more. That, that, that he had held something back. And when Schindler realized that, that more good could have been done, he understood. I, I, I think that's why he stood at that moment and wept. He understood that, that evil had gotten at least a partial victory because he had been kept from achieving all that he could have. There was more to his dream that he could have achieved. Jesus told his disciples, if, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Two West Point cadets had very different abilities and talents. They were very different young men. One of them was athletic, intelligent, while the other was just your average guy without much athletic ability and, and nothing to really distinguish him academically either. The second young man had a serious problem that the first one did not. To graduate from West Point, seniors must be able to pass the physical fitness test, which includes push-ups and sit-ups and a two-mile run within a set number of minutes. 
The two cadets were scheduled to take the test on the same day. For the first one, the test was absolutely no problem. He had no problems with push-ups, sit-ups, and, and he, could, he could run the distance in half the time allotted. Not a problem. But for the second cadet, it was not only a problem, it was the problem of his life. If he failed the test, he wouldn't graduate from West Point. Well, he did manage to get through the first part of the fitness test, the sit-ups and the pull-ups and those sorts of things. But the two-mile run was the problem. He had never run the event in the allotted time, and he had no reason to believe he could do it this time. As he was running, he was not full of confidence and hope, and it showed. The further he went along, the more he felt sapped of his energy and his strength, and he was running more and more slowly with each passing minute. Just about the time he was ready to give up, his friend, the athletic cadet, noticed what was happening. And he decided to help him. Not an easy decision to stop and move backward to help his friend because it meant that he would lose valuable time and and would cost him points in his overall standing in the class. But the young man concluded that his friend was worth it. So he slowed down and he waited for the second guy to catch up. And then he proceeded to encourage him down the track. He yelled at him. He shouted at him. You can do it. You can do it. Go for it. You're going to make it. Well, the second guy, he didn't respond with any great burst of speed, but he didn't give up either. With the first fellow with his friend running alongside of him, encouraging him, pushing him along, he continued to plod along and push himself for all he was worth. The first cadet kept yelling and both men kept going kept advancing, and with all the energy he could muster, he finally managed to cross the finish line with his friend at his side. The second fellow was totally exhausted. He fell to the ground. He could not muster another step, but it was a great moment for both men. They had finished the race, and they had finished it together. Their friendship, a bond that encouraged both of them. But there was only one thing. You see, both of them failed the test. They hadn't made it across the finish line within the allotted time. That wasn't the conclusion you expected, was it? We expect a nice television ending where both young men helping each other and working together and they both come out winners. They both succeed. The first cadet, though, discovered something of the cost of discipleship, something of the cost of friendship. He gave his all to help his friend accomplish something he couldn't have done on his own, and it cost him. It cost him something. Jesus' counsel to his followers was, discipleship always costs us something. Sometimes it costs a great deal, but Jesus' final word to his disciples was, it's always worth the price. He offered them a paradox. Those who want to save their life will lose it. But those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The disciples wanted Jesus to establish his kingdom on earth without any cost. 
They thought of the good times they shared with Jesus and they expected that the good times would continue indefinitely. But Jesus tried to counsel them. There's going to be loss. There's going to be sacrifice. There's going to be suffering and even death. This must never happen to you, Peter said. They misunderstood. When we give of ourselves for Christ's sake, when we bear witness to our faith in Jesus, we place ourselves at risk. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus had to say. But by doing so, that is how we discover and embrace life itself. You won't recognize the name of Valerie Place Not a name that is well known among us. Not too many years ago, when she was 23 years old, Valerie went to Somalia to work as a nurse. She wanted to help people who were suffering, to help them, to help them live and to find a better way of life. She wanted to relieve their suffering. So Valerie was placed in charge of a feeding center in Mogadishu. Through her life-saving work, Children who had been near starvation were fed and their lives were literally saved. Valerie established a school where those same children could learn and have some hope for the future, be equipped in ways that that they hadn't before. Valerie was fortunate to see some of the fruits of her labor as she lived and worked in the feeding center in Mogadishu. But then she made the national news one day when she was killed by armed bandits outside the school she had started. Valerie was willing to give her life to help other people. And Jesus tells us that somehow, in the mystery of God's economy, somehow, that in losing her life, she actually found it. She was no generic Christian disciple. How about you? Jesus calls us to follow him, but discipleship always costs. We are assured by Jesus himself that the, that the cost is worth it. The price is worth it. But it does cost us something. There's much evil afoot in our world. Evil that would have us believe that we can simply put our hand up and say yes to Jesus and walk away having earned our eternal salvation. There's evil afoot in our world that tempts us to abandon our goals, to abandon our dreams, to leave our calling behind and live by our own values and our own desires. But Jesus says there's much more to it than that. For you see, those who have their their eyes fixed on merely saving their own life, saving their own skin, merely having what they want for themselves, they are going to lose it all. But those who are willing to give their life up for me will, in fact, find it. Amen.